It is such a joy to be able to gather together and worship God on a beautiful Lord's Day morning. And while we're doing so, to be able to take a short amount of time and be able to consider some of God's Word, to be able to hopefully encourage us, to make us better people, and prepare us for eternity. And this morning, I want to address a passage of Scripture which I think is very important and very needed. Foolish is the person who never thinks about the future. If you start looking at this world in which we live, so many people just live for the day. There are many people who do not think about their future, and as you get a little bit older, it is forced upon you. Will you be ready for your retirement? Will you be ready financially? As you get a little bit older, are you going to make preparations for your health? I can't remember who it is, but somebody said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. The truth is, foolish is a person who doesn't think about his future. Listen to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You see, the ant, as insignificant and unimportant as the ant is, is able to think about the future. Or if you go to chapter 10 in verse 5, he says, He who gathers in summer is wise, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Solomon understood that unless you make your provisions now during the harvest time, you may be hungry when the winter time comes. But more foolish is the man who does not consider God in his future. In the book of James, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You see, the problem is, is that so many people today are saying, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I am going to make a profit. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And God is in none of those plans or are in none of those plans. There are some things that are certain in this world. One of them is life. God designed this world so there's life. There's babies being born, and you and I are enjoying life. But something else is certain, death. 
Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed that a man wants to die, and after this comes the judgment. But there's a third thing that is certain in life, and that is the Lord's return. He's coming back. In Acts 17, in verse 30, Paul said to those unbelievers on Mars Hill, because he has an appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is coming back to life. It is an assurance of judgment day that there will be that day for each of us. What I want to do in our lesson this morning is for us to study 2 Peter chapter 3. Now I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles there to 2 Peter 3 if you don't have them already open there. And here's what we're going to observe as we look through this chapter of God's Word. Verses 1 through 7. The mockers of the Lord's coming. People who don't believe it's going to happen. Number two, we want to look at meeting the Lord in judgment in verses 8 through 10. And then finally, we want to talk about a mature view of this as we look at verses 11 through 18. Let's begin our study, verses 1 through 7. Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that in the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willfully forget, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which now are preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire unto the judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. The truth is, is that everybody needs to be reminded. I need to be reminded of things. Sometimes I try to get other people to say, now, don't let me forget that. You'll tell me. Many people that are coming into services will say, Tony, will you do this? And I'll say, don't forget to remind me. Write me a note. Let me understand it. Do you know there's none of us that are so brilliant, so... Um, captivating in our minds and our understanding that we can remember it all. And so we need reminders. And when it comes to spiritual things, all of us need to realize the value of this assembly that we're in today. It's a great time for reminding us of what the holy men of God spoke. The prophets who were of old and the apostles who were of the new covenant these men told us what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And what he says, this is what I want you to know first. The scoffers will come. 
Now, what is a scoffer? He's a person who makes fun of, he mocks an idea. You know, sometimes you may tell someone you think something's a good idea, and everybody just begins to snigger and to laugh and to say, yeah, right. When you start talking about the promise of Jesus Christ coming back to this world and everybody standing before his throne, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, there's a lot of people who say that's not going to happen. And in fact, they'll laugh at you. You mean you really believe what's in that book? You really believe the Bible? We People look at us like we sometimes look at people who will follow Scientology or some of these cults. Or Islam. You know, they say that if a man dies as a martyr in Islam, that he's going to be able to have 70 virgins when he gets to his eternity. And we sort of smile and we think, yeah, that's right. We don't believe it. There are people who mock and make fun of our concept of it. And the Bible tells us when this is going to take place. And it's going to tell us how. Now, that's the scoffing I'm discussing here. He says, in the last days, scoffers will arise. Now, uh, what does he mean by that? The denominational world has this idea, if you look at a timeline, that the few, maybe months, maybe years, right before the Lord returns, is going to be called the last days. And if you listen to people like Hal Lindsey and his late great planet Earth and many of these other guys who talk about this uh, cataclysmic uh, Armageddon, millennial kingdom, they have this idea the last days are right there at the end and you're always in those last days. But the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that the last days began in the days of the apostles and refers to the last age of man. After it's over, there's not going to be another one. Let me prove this to you. In second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit had descended upon the apostles. And they began to speak with tongues, that is, languages which they had not studied. And it's obvious to the audience that are there listening these men are not the kind of intelligent folks you would expect to be able to speak these languages. And so some began to suppose, well, maybe they're drunk. And Peter said, no, they're not drunk. And here's what he does. Acts 2, beginning with verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You see, that's what he's referring to. Peter said the prophecy of Joel of the last days is being fulfilled today, day of Pentecost. That's not enough proof for you. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He said, God who at various times and in various ways spoke by the prophets through the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You see, the last days refers to this final age. 
And the mockers are coming in this final age. They were there in Peter's day, and they are here today. Now, there's a second aspect to this. He talks about walking according to their own lust. These are people who their lives are warped. That's a good word to use. Their minds, their thinking is perverted because everything's all about, hey, does it feel good? Does it make me happy? Do I like it? And so when you begin to say the Lord's going to come again and the Lord's going to judge you, they begin to mock because they want to live according to their own lust. And Jude also said in Jude verse 18 how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Look at the scoffers. Who are they? They're people living their ungodly lives. Well, what are they saying? Where is the promise of his coming? Where's the fulfillment of it? If Jesus has said, I am coming back again, and he did, then where is the fulfillment of that promise? Now, they're going to attempt to answer their own question. And here's what they say. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There's actually a scientific name for that today. It's called uniformitarianism. Big, long name. It basically means that things haven't changed since, they don't say the creation, but they'd say since the beginning. That you have one set of facts that are always, but you know, uh, there's a problem with that. Peter responds by saying, number one, they willfully forget a major event. Now I want you to notice the way Peter phrases this. They willfully forget. You know, your wife tells you to do something and you scratch your head and you say, Honey, I'm sorry, I forgot. When you say that, that tends to imply that it escaped your mind. But to say that you willfully forgot something means you know that it's there, but you purposefully block it out. There are some people when it comes to what the Bible teaches will just block out certain portions of it because they don't like what it has to say. We have that going on in the world today. There's some things that the world does not want to hear about. They don't want to hear about homosexuality being a sin. They don't want to hear lessons on modesty. They don't want to hear all these. They just block that stuff out. So Peter says they willfully forget something. What did they willfully forget? Second Peter 2, 5. And in the midst of discussing God's judgment, he says... And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. You see, this world has already been destroyed once. And they forgot that. No, they didn't really forget. They blocked it out of their minds. They're not going to count it. They're not going to consider it. Matthew 24, verses 37 and 38 says, But in the days of Noah, 
so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. You know what's going to happen when the Lord comes again? People are going to be going about their everyday activities. People are going to be acting as if there was not going to be any sort of destruction taking place on this world. But this next time, the world's not going to be destroyed by water, but it will be destroyed by fire, Peter is going to say. You know, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 11, God said to Moses, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God gave us proof of that. He put a rainbow in the sky. And you can still see those beautiful rainbows today as a proof of God's covenant-keeping nature. But now let's move to verses 8 through 10. And if you will pick up with me there, we're going to read. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Here's a major, major part to learn. God doesn't operate on our timetable. God does not consider time like you and I do. The psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. If you look back from the time that Jesus died on the cross until today is almost 2,000 years. Almost. And someone might say, that's a vast amount of time. The promise of God must not ever going to take place. But now, folks, the psalmist says that's just like yesterday to God. Not even a whole day, just like a, a watch in the night. That doesn't mean that God's promises are not going to take place. In fact, God always keeps his promise. I wish that we all had the kind of faith, the kind of confidence in God that Abraham did. Romans 4, verses 20 and 21, He did not waver at the promise of God but through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, was, he had promised, he was able also to perform. What God says he will do, God will do. You think about just Abraham for a moment. God made a promise that through his seed, his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He didn't have any 
seed as of yet. But he had a son later. And Isaac was told to be a sacrifice. God said to Abraham to take him to Mount Moriah and there offer him. Abraham went all the way to the point of drawing his hand to take Isaac's life. And you know what? He would have done it. Because Hebrews chapter 11 says that he believed that God could bring him back from the dead. He was a man who believed that what God said was true. Whatever promise God makes, God will keep. We ought to believe that. God is not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering toward us. You might ask, why does Jesus not come back immediately? Why didn't he come back during the dark ages? Why hasn't he come already? God is being patient in trying to allow as many as possible the privilege to repent of their sins. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In Romans 2, in verse 4, he says, Or do you despise his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? The truth is, is that God doesn't want a person in this world to be lost. And God's patience is waiting. For who? For you and for me. To see if we will change. And then he points out that the final judgment will be fierce. The earth and the works in it are going to be burned up. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that I fear. Occasionally I will have dreams about being in a fire and not being able to escape. That's perhaps one of the most fearful thoughts in one of our minds. And he tells us that this is going to come without warning. In fact, he describes it as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Will it happen at night? I don't know. Probably will somewhere, considering the way the world turns. But it's going to be without warning. Matthew 24, verse 36, But of that day and of that hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Seems strange to me. Some people today claim to know when Jesus said they don't know. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 And to you who are troubled to give rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now listen carefully to verse 8 in flaming fire,
taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. There's fire, there's punishment, and it's eternal. No habitation here. It will all be burned up. Now, let's take the last section here in verses 11 through 18 as we wrap this lesson together. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look according we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And considering the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in all of his epistles, speaking them them of these things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the rest of the Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Given everything that you have learned from verses 1 through 10, what should that make me do if I've got a mature view about things let me explain to you the idea of maturity for just a moment I don't want to run over but I do want to explain the idea of maturity when you're young you feel invincible you think you're going to live forever you think that no harm can come to you you don't worry about sickness generally young people are not sick you don't worry about retirement because that's something way off in the future. But you know what happens to you as you get a little bit older? You think about those things. It's forced upon you. What many immature people do is they keep going on in life and they don't make any changes, any preparations for that eternal home in heaven. So what does he say? What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Conduct matters, folks. What I say, what I do, how I live, that matters. James 3 and verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
you want to show that you're a smart person, a wise person, a mature person, live like it. In 1 Peter 1, verse 15, he says, But he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. You see, folks, we live every day as if we are ready for the future, if it were to arrive. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, turning, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man torment, dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day unto day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." What he's talking about is you live in an ungodly world, but you've got to be a righteous man in that ungodly world. So you live that way, and then you look. You live, you look. You look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, he said, in which righteousness dwells. I'm looking forward to heaven where we don't have to worry about liars. We don't have to worry about cheats. We don't have to worry about all this ungodly conduct. It's not going to be oppressive to us like it was to Lot. It's going to supersede this creation. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. You see, there's going to be something new, something better than this one. Well, if I'm going to live and look, I'm going to have to also look to, be, to beware of the error of the wicked. There's always people out there trying their best to cause me to stumble, to cause me to fall. They're going to take the scriptures. They're going to twist them. They're going to make them say things that God never intended for them to say. But for me, I've got to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, to conclude it all, are you thinking about the future? Are you thinking about Judgment Day and the second coming of Christ? If the trumpet were to sound right now and the dead were to be raised and we all were to be gathered before the judgment seat of Christ, would you be there in confidence because you know that the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life and you stand there ready to meet him, looking forward to and hastening that day? Oh, if you're not a Christian, do you understand? If you're not a Christian, there's a sad day coming. You know, if you're not a faithful Christian, there's a sad day coming. Are you ready? 
while you're waiting, if you need to become a Christian or be restored, would you come as together we stand and sing?